I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 293. Y'all, I just got back from my sister's house in Lake Charles this past weekend. And we did like the painting with a twist thing. Well, because it was Beetlejuice themed, they did trivia with it. Y'all, when I tell you that the people that were in that trivia thing with us had never done trivia in their damn lives... Because, you know, trivia, I was like thinking, I was sitting there, I was like, oh my God, they're probably going to ask us to come up with a team name. Yeah, of course. So I was like, okay, Lydia, what can we make? Like trying to think of something Beetlejuicy because, you know, it's a theme. So you go with the theme, right? Right. So I was like, oh my God, perfect. Is that a sandworm or are you happy to see me? Yeah, that's a great name. So my sister and I were on a team and she was like, oh my God, that's the best ever. Like we have in five. You get the point. We are so stoked. Our team name is going to be the best. And when she's like, okay, like, tell me your team names. And Casey's like, shout it out, like, real proud. And I was like, okay, is that a sandworm or are you just happy to see me? One person laughed, y'all. Wow. And she had never seen the movie, so she didn't really get it. Oh, my God. So, like, she got it, but she didn't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obviously, it's a sex joke. So, like, (laughs) but, like, no one got it. Wow. There was this couple there, and when we first got there, you know, my sister, like, kind of, she had clearly had um, two glasses of wine because she is like me. She's not chatty with strangers, but she was two glasses of wine in, so she was like, hey, do y'all really like me? Are y'all big Beetlejuice fans like us? Because, like, we had on shirts. Like, I had a Lydia outline shirt that said, I myself am strange and unusual. My sister had a shirt that said the same thing. Our other friend had a shirt that was like, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Like, we were in it, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, I love Beetlejuice. Okay, we go to start the trivia. Meanwhile, we're literally painting something that has a Lydia and a Beetlejuice on it. And we go to start the trivia and that lady says, what movie are we doing? (laughs) What do you mean? What movie are they asking questions about? (laughs) Fucking Beetlejuice. Oh my gosh. Hocus Pocus. I mean, come on. Right? The Goonies. I mean, what the fuck else would it be? (laughs) When I say we dominated, we fucking dominated. (laughs) Our friend Katie. Well, there was four of us there. My sister... Casey, our friend Katie, and then their friend Jill. I met her the, for the first time that night, but she had never seen the movie. But she was just like along for a good time. Like she was totally like, sure. She actually did know one of the answers though. So she and Katie were on a team and Casey and I were on a team. And Katie is like a vault when it comes to movie knowledge. So she was fine. But we did like a little tiebreaker and we won. Both of us got every single answer right. Oh my gosh. I will say though, if it wasn't for my sister Casey, I would not have gotten every answer. Because the hardest question that I was like, oh shit, I wouldn't have known that. What did he have to go to the hardware store for? Oh, I don't know. It was paint, I think. Oh. But we said that it was like turpentine oil. That wasn't what it is. Everybody's going to be like, you're an idiot. That wasn't what it was. But then we're like, no, that's what she gave him for their anniversary present. And he gave her the wallpaper. They went for paint. That's why oh. they had left. It was fun. We, I painted mine on like the wood that you put next to your front door, you know? Yeah. Like where it would say like, welcome. Yeah. I'll, I'll Remind me, I'll post a picture of it. Well, speaking of movies, me and Tiffany were a two-woman show doing Ever After. Like, you know when you're like, oh my God, my favorite part is this, and then you go to another one, and then another one? We literally did the whole fucking movie. Is there a movie that you can do that to? Well, because I'm on the Beetlejuice train. Beetlejuice, we literally watched it twice this weekend. Well, you can't remember what he went to the hardware store for. Uh, Matilda, probably. Yeah, probably, (laughs) yeah. But you know, you think you really know something, but when you really start like picking apart like the little questions, it's like, wait, wow, that's really hard. I don't know. I think ever after, I might know everything. Really? Yeah. 
I watch that movie all the freaking time. It's my good nap movie. Mm -hmm. It's everything. Because I can literally, right now, I can just see the credits and everything. So I can have my eyes closed when I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. And still enjoy it. Yes. Because I know exactly what it looks like, what their facial expressions are, you know. But I really think that's the only movie that I can do that to, where it was like scene by scene. If someone said, never seen this before, and write the transcript, I'd be like, I got it. Like, got it. That's funny. But I will say that me and a coworker were talking about my best friend's wedding today. Mm-hmm. And I love that movie. And I was like, it makes me feel like a villain because I was rooting for him and Julia Roberts' character. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't root for them. But I'm like, come on. I didn't really like that movie that much. I don't know why. Probably because it gave you... uh Anxiety, Anxiety. Probably. And you don't like Cameron Diaz. I did not like her back in the day. She grew on me though. You know when, what was my turning point with her was the holiday. Mm. That's when I was like, "Mm, okay, actually I can get on board with her. (laughs) But yeah, I love my best friend's wedding. And I was like the part where the younger brother and his friends suck up the helium and they're singing that song. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what song is it? And I was like, I don't know, but God, I love it. And so she like did the YouTube and like sent it to me. And I was like, yes, this one. Well, you know who wants to get to know us as much as we know those movies? Oh Lord, that was a mouthful. (laughs) Okay. About as long as our trivia name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm talking about Patreoners. So thank you so much, Amy J from Oklahoma. Kimberly M. from Maryland. Tony S. from Australia. Rianne W. from Tennessee. Heather A. from Nebraska. Aaron S. from California. Adriana C. from California. And Liz F. from Texas. I don't know what that was. Sorry. Bye. (laughs) Donna lost her Texas again. It's somewhere in that heat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. Look, these guys are getting an extra episode a freaking week. So if you want in on that good good, you gotta head over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Think about how long we've been doing Patreon. There are probably so many episodes on there now. Oh my gosh. Look, if you are called up and you're like, no, get on Patreon because you will get the backlog and there's a actual fuck ton. (laughs) Y'all, okay, my little niece has a boyfriend at school and y'all, I don't know why, I've been craving a pizza buffet. I just love the salad. It's got ham cubes on it. Mm -hmm. I just love a damn pizza buffet. Me too. So the day I was leaving from Lake Charles, I was like, let's go get a pizza buffet. And when we got there, I heard a kid say her name. And I was like, the hell? And it was her boyfriend. And when I tell you, she turned as red as that pizza sauce. <laughs> it, y'all, she's six or seven. Terrible at math. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. I have never seen her do that. It was the cutest. Aww. She had seen him the day before at Trunk or Treat. And so she was like, two times in a row? I saw him two times in a row. Aww. It was the cutest. Well, just rub it in my face. She's got a boyfriend. (laughs) Also about my niece. She's six or seven, whatever her age is. And she was like, can I paint your nails? And I was like, she's probably going to do a better job than I did. Y'all, like a damn profesh. Oh, dang. They're kind of coming off now because we didn't put a top coat or anything. But I mean, like, she did a really good job. I was like, (laughs) this bitch, she even had a little dryer up. Oh, dang. Meanwhile, my arthritis was acting up because she had to like press the button to make it. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, no amount. Oh, I know what that sound is. (laughs) I'm used to an on switch with my buzz. (laughs) 
Well, when this episode comes out, tomorrow will be Halloween. Oh, shoot. And y'all know what we're doing for Halloween? I'm not doing anything. That's what I was going to say. Literally nothing. (laughs) (laughs) This year, we have literally been like, for Halloween. I know. Everyone at work was like, what are you going to be? And I was like, nothing. Uh, An employee? Well, we are dressing up as work. At work. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having troubles. What? (laughs) (laughs) Struggles and troubles together. Okay, anyway. We are dressing up at work, though. Um, and we're all going to be minions and our boss is going to be Gru. And I think that's going to be fun. I borrowed a pair of overalls (laughs) and they are like, I'm going to look like I'm a farmer because they are just like straight the Liberty brand, like with the green zipper. Like I am going to look like a farmer turned minion. It's (laughs) bad. And they're about mm, seven inches too long. So I had to roll them up like a greaser. It's (laughs) going to be something. (laughs) Oh, that's another one I could probably do. Oh, yeah. Grease. Yeah. Oh, my God. I saw this TikTok today, and it was like the most forwarded part of a movie in cinematic history. Guess what part it was? Is it Stranded at the Drive-In? No, that's a good one. Oh, because that's I a good can't one. stand that one. No, it's the mom's song on Willy Wonka. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But straight at the drive-in, I, yeah. Or when and she's like, when she's like playing in the pool, hopelessly devoted. Yes, to you. that's no, another I like one. That one. Ugh, gross. <laughs> okay, so you know how me and Tiffany talk about random shit, but we just brought up Grace, and so I was just gonna say it's because. I don't know. His character was so cringe to me. And so like when he was just like on the swing set and it's like he's stranded at the drive-in. Yeah. Well, because he's like 45 playing this role too. (laughs) Yes. Well, okay. So me and Tiffany were talking about something and I was like, you know what? I'm so glad we were alive and watching the award show when he said Adina Menzel's name wrong. Yes. And I was like, it's so hard for me to think of her real name because I say Adele Dazeem. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why did he not practice that? I don't know what happened to him. It was like a glitch in the matrix. (laughs) But me and her were both watching it live. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Even my mom knew that was wrong. <laughs> but I think about that so many times. Like, I'll just say it. Adele Dazeem. <laughs> what the hell? Like a clip that lives rent-free in your head? Yes. And he was just like, okay, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> but she's got to like- come out and be like, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my name. All right. Well, before we get into Donna's story, we got to talk about Beam Dream because... It's back, and you'll know how much I love sleep. Like, it's literally my favorite thing in this Besides earth. Besides Colby. Yeah, duh. Like, family and my husband and friends and the things. No, I would say Colby, sleep, and then your sister. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. I love sleep. And when I can sleep without, like, waking up to mm-hmm. use the bathroom or, oh, my CPAP got... And I sound like Darth Vader. Like one of those things, like that is the best sleep. And let me just tell y'all, Beam Dream Powder is where it is at. Y'all know how I always joked about that one time with Donna that I took melatonin and my eyes crossed within a couple of minutes? That ain't got nothing on Beam Dream Powder. Right. And again, it gives her uninterrupted sleep. 
Also, for me, I get to take it, one, that's the thing, it's a powder, you go into either hot water or hot milk, or if you're like me and a wimp, it's warm milk. (laughs) Um, I'm surprised you had milk at your house, but continue. I was on a cereal kick for like gotcha. just a little bit. But yeah, it's so good because we have the cocoa flavor, uh-huh. especially now when it's getting a little bit like more chilly in the air mm-hmm. and everything. And it's just the perfect little nightcap to send you off to your Z's. Sleep is so important to not only your physical health, but your mental health as well. Getting less than six to seven hours a night is linked to a reduced white blood cell count. And what does that do? That helps you fight viruses, bacteria, illness, all the things. And not getting enough sleep can lead to mood issues, poor mental health, lower productivity, all kinds of things. And let me just tell y'all, when you are not sleeping well, your body knows. It really does affect every aspect of your life. Work, personal, just everything, even your self-care routine, like it's thrown off because you have no energy, no drive, because all you want to do is go to sleep. But you can add Beam Dream Powder to your nightly self-care routine because like Donna was saying, it is like the perfect little hot cocoa with different flavors. You've got seasonal flavors like cinnamon cacao, sea salt caramel, white chocolate peppermint. Y'all, this stuff is so freaking good. I did it in hot milk because I'm not a wuss like Donna and it was so yummy. Just like a perfect little nightcap and then do a couple of things. Also, the thing about Beam Dream Powder is it contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Now, there is a version that has no CBD. So again, if you're not a CBD fan, that's okay. They got you covered, and it's going to give you the same benefits. And the hot cocoa is no sugar added. So you can stir or froth your way into some good night's sleep. Y'all, when I tell you, if I didn't already have my appendix removed, you could have removed it. I was sleeping so damn hard. That's how hard I was sleeping with Beam Dream. Like, I'm telling you, it was like the best sleep ever. So you know what to get Carrie for Christmas. Just saying. So find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. So if you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, take advantage of this biggest sell of the year and get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash creep and use code cyber at checkout. Again, that is shopbeam, B-E-A-M, dot com slash creep and use the code cyber for up to 50% off. Look, your best sleep is calling you. So go to shopbeam.com slash creep and use code cyber at checkout for up to 50% off. Okay, y'all, what is something you think about when you think about Halloween? Candy. Oh my God. Okay. I said, and I know your first thought is candy because hello, we're extra large pizzas. (laughs) You don't know me. (laughs) Okay. My first thought was candy and then scary. Mm, Okay. I said costume second. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, lame, but good. (laughs) (laughs) But I really love that you said candy because I was like, that's what she's going to say, right? Oh, absolutely. Literally, we have so much candy at work. And one of my coworkers was like, I've eaten so much candy. And I was like, yes. And we're only about to get more. (laughs) Because Halloween is just around the corner and they all have little kids that they're not going to eat all the candy they get. And I'm like, and y'all are all going to bring it to work. (laughs) Okay, so something else that's 
synonymous with Halloween, I used a big word there, is haunted houses. You know, haunted attractions. I will say though, so you know, it is Halloween and I do love the spooky vibes on TikTok and those Hollywood Horror Night TikToks where the men are in the mask and they're like leering over you and stuff. I'm like, mm, that's how I know I'm fucked up in the head because I'm like, I want to kiss him. I want to do all the things to him. And it's like, no, that's not right. You just sound like Amanda Bynes, and then you take her, and then you kiss her, and oh, then you kiss her again. That's another movie we could do. Yes. Okay, we have a lot now that I'm <laughs> thinking about it. But yeah, that movie, because that's literally what I was doing in my head. <laughs> also, I did write down that he could bend me over right there, but it's fine. So the story I'm talking about tonight is all about a haunted house attraction, but also about what happens when your haunted attraction is haunted. Look, my biggest fear of a haunted house is that someone is actually a serial killer in the haunted house. Me too. And that the chainsaw actually has the chain on it. Literally me. Like, no one else, I think, is going to be a serial killer, but that chainsaw man. Yes. And I'm like, yep, I'm about to die. Like, such a movie thing where it's like, oh, they were there for a haunted house, and little did they know that the serial killer, you know? I don't know why they talk in that voice, but you get I don't the point. know, but you're very Oprah today. <laughs> Just wish I had her money. Damn those student loans. Oh, my God. All right. Picture it. Tuella, Utah, 2006. Kim Anderson had always dreamed of opening up a haunted attraction of his own. Kim said he worked at a haunted house when he was a teen, and it really helped straighten out his life because, you know, he was just doing all the things he wanted, but... The people there, they really were like a mentor to him and took him in and he learned responsibilities. And so he wanted to be able to provide that guidance for people who worked on his own property one day. Now his niece, who's more like a sister, Dusty Kingston, she shared Kim's dream as well. And in 2006, they found the perfect property to make their dreams come true. The old Tuella Valley Hospital. So along with Dusty and Kim, Kim's wife, Cami Anderson, purchased the building and began to make their dreams come true by creating a twisted nightmare for people to enjoy. Now, when Kim and Dusty were doing their first walkthrough, they were like, holy shit, this is a gold mine because all the old stuff was there. And Kim said it looked like they, you know how they say like the rapture happened? Basically, he's like, it just looked like they were like, yeah, we got to go now. Bye. And like just dropped everything. There were, you know, medicine bottles on the ground. It was just so creepy. He's like, we don't have to do hardly anything because all of this old shit is here. And it's so creepy. Dusty shared Kim's sentiment and was like, yeah, this already feels like a haunted house, you know, but they didn't know how true those words would be. And now something to note, the hospital side was vacant, but the other side of the building was a nursing facility and it was still in business, like a nursing home. Wait, so like this building was like cut in half and half of it was still functioning and the rest was going to be a scary place? Yeah, the majority was still functioning and this was a smaller thing. Now, when I say smaller, I mean, it's like thousands and thousands of square feet, but the whole thing itself was like, 40,000 square feet. It's kind of like when Spirit Halloween just comes in and takes one thing that's uh, not working anymore. No, I know, but I'm just so surprised that there was like a nursing home attached to it. You know what I mean? And they're like, oh, let's make this a thing. 
Well, because it was an old hospital. So they were thinking, oh, yeah, this is the perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I just was picturing like a completely empty building, not with something that's still running with it. You know what I mean? Well, because if you think about our own mall. Yeah. It's like that. Like, you know, the majority of it is this rundown thing. But if you go on this one side, it has an entrance to the nursing home. Gotcha. Okay. But also right outside is the town cemetery. So it was a total badass location for them. But first, I want to say a little bit about Tuella, Utah, even though I misspelled Utah. I don't know why, but I did. So it was an old mining town. So, you know, gold rush, all of that shit that came along with these people seeking their fortunes only to really find violence and everything. But the property that Asylum 49, that's what their attractions called, it had a building that was constructed in 1873. And it was the first residence of Samuel F. Lee. And now by 1913, it had morphed into a residence for the elderly, aka the county poorhouse. And like many poorhouses back in the day, it then became the hospital. It went through many renovations because it was then again used as the home for the elderly when the hospital was built in 1953. And now this is the building that Asylum 49 is now home to. The thing is, the hospital really never received the funding that they needed, so they had to make cuts where they could. And one solution that they thought would help, which it did, but they shouldn't skimp on this part, is that they didn't have a morgue. What? So the bodies of the deceased would just go into a room that wasn't built as a morgue, like no refrigeration at all. And they would just kind of like stack them there and let them marinate until the coroner came and picked them up. That is absurd. Yeah. Also, Stephen King's movie, The Stand, it was filmed there too. So like, I mean, if Stephen King is like, this is something that's like creepy, you know what's fucking creepy, okay? And I feel like when you see a hospital and just... All the energy, it's both good and bad that have come through those doors. You know it's going to have some activity that goes down there. There was a report of a nurse seeing a man dressed in black, and he entered the room of a patient. And it was well after visiting hours, like 3 o'clock in the morning, of course. So she was like, wait, who the hell does this person think he is? So when she went over to the door, the patient's room was locked. And she's like, what the hell? Had to call for reinforcements to open the door, which took ages. Like, they just kept trying to open the door and they couldn't. But finally, the door became unlocked. And inside, there was no man in black, but the patient had passed. So it was like the man in black was, you know, a soul collector, the Grim Reaper type thing. So there was always some type of thing going on at the hospital. But of course, Kim and Dusty did not know any of this stuff really beforehand. But even then, they probably would have bought the building. I think so. Here's the one thing about Kim. He might have loved scary things, but he wasn't really a believer in the paranormal. You know, he's all about creating the chaos and manufacturing the scare. So if things were really haunted, he wouldn't have to do that, right? But upon the first tour of the building, he had an experience that left him freaked out. He said he had ventured inside and he had left his niece Dusty at the front of the building. And now again, Dusty is like the same age, if not a little older than Kim. I think it's just one of those things that maybe his, you know, his siblings were older than Mm -hmm. he was. And so, you know, she was more like a sister than a cousin. 
So anyway, the nursing home was operating on the other side of the hospital and they used this part that they had just purchased as a little maze for Halloween. And they had it set up in like a conference room. And now their maze looked better than what ours would look like. But basically they just had like some white sheets and stuff around, you know, it wasn't like an actual scary attraction. But Kim went through, he was just kind of seeing like, okay, do I want to keep any of this? You know, getting a feel for it. But the deeper in the building he went, he felt like there was electricity all around him. His pulse raced and there was this fear he just couldn't understand. But at the height of all of his senses working, you know, he felt something tug on his leg, like on his pants. And he ran out of there thinking, what the fuck just happened, you know? But again, he didn't really believe in the paranormal, so he kept it to himself because he's like, I think I just got myself freaked out, you know, what else? But then one night, Dusty had to leave to tuck her daughter into bed and spend some time with her, and that left Kim by himself. Because they were working long hours trying to get this hospital ready for the grand opening for Halloween. But soon after Dusty left, Kim heard footsteps, and so he's like is someone in here? Like I'm the only one in here, you know? And so he followed them just trying to see if someone had trespassed inside, but no one was there. And when he couldn't find anyone, he went back to his workstation that he had been at and the tool he was using was on the floor under the table. And he was like, no, I know I put that carefully down and how it was on the table, it wouldn't have just been able to easily roll off and then go under this table. And so he was like, you know, I don't know, like maybe I did like drop it, whatever. I don't know. And he just blamed the long hours that he was exhausted. And so he was like, I'm going to leave for the night. It's fine. But then it came time for Dusty to have her own experience. She was alone hanging up a six foot tall spider in the lobby. And she heard something like a disembodied voice. And she said that she felt breath on her hair. And now she's standing on a tall ladder, like putting up this huge spider. So that's not possible for her to just feel breath on her. But she heard the voice again and it sounded like it said her name. So she was like, Kim, are you messing with me? You know, like she ran over to see where he was and he was like, what are you talking about? No. And so this time it was Dusty who brushed it off and was like, oh, just exhausted. Who knows? And also you had to think like they're putting in all this work on creepy shit. Like, you know, it's like she's hanging up this big like spider that's, I mean, obviously way bigger than a real one, but still realistic, has like cobwebs everywhere. You know, it's all dark because, you know, you have like fucking painted black walls and all of that. So I can only imagine. But they both weren't communicating about what they were experiencing. So they just kind of buried their heads, completed the work and opened up to rave reviews. Now, the director at the nursing facility next door, he was nosy like me, and he wanted to see what they had done with the place. So Kim was like, hell yeah, I'll show you around for sure. But remember, the director is the one who set up the maze for the last Halloween. So the director wanted to see what the professionals would do, you know? And so when Kim was showing the director around, Kim was like, okay, so I don't know why he felt the need to talk to this guy. He, it's just one of those times, like sometimes you can't open up to some people, but then other times you're like, I have no idea why I just told you that, but 
here we are. I mean, that's me with everyone, but still. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe because, you know, that guy had been there a while and he was like, okay, if anybody's going to know, it's going to be this guy. True. Very true. And so Kim confided that he felt something tug on his shorts when he was in that conference room. And he was like, you know, it just kind of reminded me of a kid, like how they would just like tug on you to get your attention. And of course, the director was like, oh, well, yeah. So one of the nurses who was setting up the maze, she swore she saw a girl running through the maze. And so Kim was like, maybe there is something there then because it seemed like a young child to him. And now this person is telling, you know, him this story. So he's like, okay. He opened up to Dusty about it. And Dusty was like, all right, look, let's just call a group in and see if they'll investigate and what's going on. Because we both have had experiences and, you know, we want to make sure we're doing the right thing here. And so it was a Utah ghost organization who was the first to investigate the property. Now, Trudy Roberts was a psychic of the group, and she said that she felt a range of emotions when she walked in, like the emotions were dueling each other. And she was like, yeah, I felt them all before, but separately. But these are all in one location. It was just an overload. Trudy said that one experience she had was the temperature in the room became very cold. And so she was like, oh, let me start to do an EVP session just to see if she could capture anything. And that's when she saw a black, like misty mass that started blocking off the hallway kind of far down. And then it rushed toward her. And Trudy said it felt like she couldn't breathe. She felt like it was very threatening. She knew that the spirit was male, but that's really all she could get. So the team finished their investigation and presented the evidence to Kim and Dusty. Now, when Trudy was doing that EVP session and right before she was rushed on playback, her recorder did pick up a voice and it was a male's voice and it said, you'll be mine. And it was right before she felt like she was rushed and threatened. Meanwhile, my takeaway is how do all these people always know who to call? Google. It was 2006. Oh, okay. Because, I, I mean, like, in these stories, they're always like, yeah, we called these paranormal investigators. I'm like, how the fuck you knew how to call these people? I wouldn't even know where to begin. I'd be like, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Real life Ghostbusters. I mean, like, I don't even know. The group said there was a mix of intelligent and residual hauntings there. And there were several entities that are thought to be forever residents of the hospital. Including that young girl who loves to interact with the living. The short pulling girl. So Kim was still kind of in disbelief. So he decided that he would do his own EVP session because he's like, no one can fake this. This is me doing this because he, you know, he trusted people, but he's still like, I don't know. So again, he's like, hey, I'm going to do it. But he had asked the question, why are you here? And he was like, oh, my God, this is so stupid. Like, I'm just asking the room a question, you know, and so he stopped and he was like, well, Because this is so something we would do. Like, that's so stupid. Well, I might as well listen to it, though. Like, even though you don't think it's going to have anything, you're still going to listen to it. Right. And when he listened back, there was a male's voice that answered him. And it said, I'm dying. (gasps) So Kim was like, holy shit, wait. I am the only person in the building. There's no way someone could have played a joke on me. So Kim was like, right then and there, he had to accept that the paranormal shit was real and it was happening in this building happening to them and he said honestly it was a life-changing moment when he came to that realization well and 
as much as I'm the skeptic, when we were at Pioneer Farms, I, I mean, I did the same thing. I was like, anybody out there in these buildings, you know, like just to see if anything would respond. So I totally get that. Yeah, for sure. So with this new outlook on it, Kim was like, let's open up during the day for paranormal investigations and walkthroughs and stuff. So he's like, let's get to the bottom of it, but also prove to these people that this place is truly haunted. So that gives it the extra scare factor, you know? Well, on one of these tours, they ask if the spirit could turn on and off the flashlight. And it did. And, you know, that became a thing that they would do. And it's like, Dance, monkey dance, you know? Yes. Well, one of the tours, there is a guy and he was not impressed. Like he's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, well, turn it on again. And it didn't. And he's like, huh, okay. His name was Tyson. And so he provoked the ghost. And he was like, you know, if you're going to do something, if you can do something, do it to me. And he was not a small guy. And he got picked up. All of a sudden, it just went to like he could not breathe. And he said it felt like a cold hand was around his neck and lifted him up. And so he was like on his tiptoes, like barely still on the ground. And people are just watching him like, what the fuck is going on? And then it, you know, just like dropped. And he's like, it picked me up like I was a feather and I'm a big guy. And so he was like, oh, fuck. Well, don't provoke a damn ghost. Exactly. I mean, even if you don't believe, don't provoke a damn ghost. Right. Well, Kim was laying in bed that night, exhausted as fuck, but he wasn't going to get any rest that night because he started having like a sleep paralysis experience. He said it felt like he couldn't breathe and something was on his chest. So he thought it might have been like a panic attack because he was just so stressed out with everything. But that's when he saw a dark figure standing there over him and it started just pounding on Kim's chest. And it was like knocking the air out of him with each strike. And it was like the entity was mad that it was provoked during the tour. And so it was like, you're going to fuck with me. I'm going to fuck with you. And... Kim was like, you know what? Like when he was finally able to breathe again, Cammie, his wife was like, what the fuck is going on with you? Because he's like gasping for air over there after that. And he's like, it's fine. It's nothing. But he was just really trying not to freak her out. But he did share this experience with Dusty later on. And they were like, you know what? Let's just stop doing the ghost tours then. Like, you're right. You know, like, let's just not do it because I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to you again. Whatevs. Now, after they decided to stop the tours, they were approached by Richard Estep, and he's a well-known paranormal expert who was interested in visiting the hospital, but he wanted to help them too, not just to investigate. So Richard was like, can I go through the haunted attraction just so I can experience what the public is experiencing? And they're like, actually, yeah, the last group's going through, so like, go right ahead. And Richard's going through it and it's, you know, like a haunted house. So he's like, okay. But when he was almost finished, he came across this lady and she was being like dragged forward by this little girl in a Victorian style dress. And again, the young girl was just like pulling this woman into the other room and the woman looked terrified. But Richard was like, yeah, that's creepy. That kid's creepy. But okay, like, what's it happening to me? But at the end of the tour, Richard was like, how you get someone so young to work here? Like, is that right? And 
they're like, who are you talking about? And he's like, the little girl, she's like six or seven, maybe eight at the oldest. And they're like, what girl? We have no girl. And he's like, she's in Victorian clothing. Like it's kind of out of the blue because they're doing an asylum and this girl's in a Victorian dress. So when Richard heard that it wasn't part of the haunt, you know, his nipples were hard because he was like, oh, this place is legit. So him and his partner go to work after the building's closed down for the night. And he's able to capture an EVP of a little girl's voice. But he was more focused on what that dark entity was that attacked Kim. While they were there, they immediately heard footsteps. And it was like phantom footsteps just taunting them. Like they were moving closer and closer. And finally... It's like a black mist just formed in front of them and they could feel the anger radiating from that black mist. And Richard stood his ground. He was like, you don't run this place. Kim and Cammie do. And while he stood his ground, the mist dissipated. And, you know, Richard told him about this. He's like, you got to stay on your ground. Don't provoke, but don't back down. But he was like, the spirits here and the haunted attraction, it can coexist. They're fine. But make sure to treat them as humans because they once were. So again, don't say like on every tour, can you turn on the light? Can you turn off the light? Can you do this? Like do it on command. Do it now. You know, whatever. Which is what we like because we want to have those experiences. But I do get what they're saying. Like... It's not fair to the ghost. Yeah. But the next Halloween came around and something happened that Dusty will never forget. She thought Kim was beside her and she's like, we were walking down a hallway and when you're busy, you just kind of walk and talk like, okay, we need to do this, 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 you know, and she's like talking away and Kim started just like walking away quickly from her, but didn't talk, like didn't even acknowledge when she was calling his name or anything. So Dusty followed Kim down this long hallway and there was no way someone could disappear. But by the time she reached the end of the hall, there was no one there. And she started getting that tight feeling in her chest like she couldn't breathe. So again, she like ran out and there was Kim right there. And she's like, were you just in the hall? And he's like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? And she was like, no, 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 no. I literally was walking with you in the hall and then you turn and like I chased after you. So this meant that that entity was now mimicking Kim. Like it's something that they had not seen before, but it wasn't her seeing that mist. It was her seeing who she thought was Kim. So they reached back out to Trudy, the psychic. And she was like, oh, you know what that sounds like you're dealing with? A poltergeist. A doppelganger. A doppelganger. (laughs) Yeah. And they were just talking about that sometimes it would be the dark mist, but other times it could appear as Kim. But one thing they definitely always knew is that it was real possessive of the building. So Trudy showed Dusty how to put up a psychic barrier, like to battle against the dark entity, stand their ground, because they felt like the dark entity was kind of now targeting Dusty, like trying to trick her into something as it was showing itself as Kim, you know? And so they just had to learn how to stand their ground, how to protect themselves. And that's what they did. And they really didn't have an issue with the dark entity anymore. Like, yeah, it would come and go. But again, they would just stand their ground. And it wasn't anything like it had been with the panic attacks and all of that. Now, some more stuff about the ghost. There's different names that people have. Like Jessica is thought to be the little girl that I talked about. 
There's Richard, James, Ned, and Peter, and they're all responsible for cold touches on your skin, cold spots in the building, and several disembodied voices that you might hear. There's another ghost, Jeremy, who was a burn victim, and he is usually first smelled like by the smell of smoke and then you know they will see his apparition there's another ghost named west and he's an elderly man who was a patient at the facility and he suffered from alzheimer's and it's believed because of this like at the time of his death he was scared and confused and all of that energy just remained there and so he's been seen in the room he stayed in the facility and sometimes right outside of it as well Which just makes you sad to think about him being confused and sad and alone. So there was a medium who tried to help him cross over, but they couldn't get through to Wes because apparently that dark entity had kind of attached itself to him and I think was feeding off of the fear that Wes's spirit had. Another ghost is Samuel F. Lee, the original owner of the building. He and his seven-year-old son, Thomas, have been spotted around the building. And Thomas loves to play pranks on guests because, you know, he's seven. So there's that. But Samuel is me as a ghost because he's chatty Cathy. Like, he will talk your ear off. And he always wants to remind people of all the good deeds he did for the community. And I'm like, he was probably a Leo. One of the most notable ghosts is Maria. She was a nurse back in the day and they said that she has now like become this guard to a portal that's located in the hospital. And this portal is a way for people to cross over. But instead of beckoning them to cross over and to be with them, Maria warns that the other side's scary and that they should stay here. They do like to keep the true haunting separate than the haunted attraction. You know, like you can't do like both at the same time. Cammie said that sometimes it overlaps because the ghosts do not have to play by any rules. They've been known to lead customers down dead ends, get them lost in mazes. You know, that little girl in the Victorian dress. Like you wouldn't think anything of it if someone came up to you like this person who looks like they are in a theatrical thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's in a attire that we're not in right now so it's like oh yeah it's part of this and only it isn't no so they have no idea that they've actually seen a real apparition now ghost adventures was there twice and in the season 14 finale i believe it is because you know those seasons on like discovery plus get all mix matched So they returned and they investigated the nursing facility because that had finally shut down. And so the Andersons purchased that as well. So the team spoke to a former nurse there named Dakota. And he said that he was on a 12-hour night shift before. And he could sit there at the nurse's station and watch the security monitors. Which I'm like, that would be amazing. But he could see the apparitions appear on the security monitors. They had something called the Green Mile, which was a long hallway that was carpeted with green carpet. So they called it the Green Mile. That is a terrible name for a hallway in a nursing home. Yeah. And he said he had walked down it. And at the end of that, there's a kitchen area. And he suddenly felt his arm burning. And when he looked, he had three scratches on it. So he was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to stop at this kitchen area again. Like, I'll just go back to the nurse's station in that area. Like... Never mind. Now, Cammie told the crew that when they were doing a walkthrough, they saw a dark figure that seemed to be following them over there. And then Kim showed the guys this one 
bed in this room that had like white powder all over it. And so they had roped it off or it was roped off. I don't know. And he said that's where a dead body from the nursing home was recently. Because like, again, they didn't have a morgue or anything. And so they had just put it, like left it there. And like, you can see the outline of the body in that white powder. So when Kim was showing them this, the audio tech, he felt something brush against his neck. And then he said he saw something like black, like long strand, like it was like a dark shadow, but like just very long. And then the team was able to capture a girl's voice and her laughter at different times. So that was thought to be Jessica. And of course, there were lots of unexplained noises, loud thuds, rustling, and they even had doors opening and closing on their own. So Billy, he was like, okay, here's the thing. Because the nurses that had worked there, they said everything happened at like 3 a.m. And just how we know like death will usually come in threes. They're like, it was always at 3 a.m. And it would be like three in a row. Like, and if we heard little kid laughter, we knew that someone was probably going to die soon. And he's like, you know what? We need to stay here and see if at 3 a.m. anything happens. And so they were like, okay, you can. And so Billy did. And he stayed in that room where the body was laid out, but he didn't stay like on that bed. He stayed on the next bed. And throughout the night, he felt a strange tingling sensation on the top of his head. And then finally, when he was able to fall asleep, like he was out. A door slammed shut in the room next to him. And he jumped like three feet off the fucking bed. It was like, if he was faking it, like if that door really didn't do it. He didn't know. Like, they were playing a joke on him then. Because he was fucking scared. Yeah. Like, oh, God. It was great. I watched it, like, three times. People getting scared is literally one of my most <laughs> favorite things yes. ever. And it, the voice that he had, like, it was just like, oh. Because <laughs> can you imagine, like, you finally got to bed, like, got to sleep in this fucking nursing home that you're like yeah probably has a dark entity here and you know things happen at three o'clock and you finally get to sleep and you're woken up like by a loud fucking door Uh uh-uh so anyway he was like going through trying to figure out if it was them playing a joke on him or what and he was like wait that's the door it was like the room next to him he was like that was open and it showed like when he was like doing the walkthrough to go to that room that door was open And now it was shut. And so he was like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to go home now. And so he called, got out of there. So then the next day when they were doing their like proper investigation, Aaron said that he was down a hall and he felt like two people were like wrestling in a bathroom. Like he could just hear commotion. And so when he went to check it out, something like felt like it grabbed his ear. And so it freaked him out. He, he had my instinct to just run the fuck away. And when he was leaving the hall, you could see him on camera because he like goes back, like he backtracks a minute, goes into a room and he was like, holy fuck, I just saw this man standing in this room. And like, he was like freaked out. Well, he goes back to the nerve center and he's like telling them what happened. And Billy's like, that's a fucking room right next to mine that the door shut like on its own. And Aaron did not know which room that was. Yeah. And so ultimately they're like, you know, it's not harmful things that are here, but stuff is definitely here in the nursing facility, in the hospital, all of the above. And I forgot to say that Kim had, I heard this on History Goes Bump 
podcast. And they said that Kim had been with the investigation team doing an EVP session. And they had asked, like, is there anyone here? And they heard a like a young boy's voice. And he said, yes. They kind of asked questions like, were you a patient here? And he said, yes. And it like after this whole conversation, because again, this little boy was like me, he was laying all his shit out there. But basically, he said that he was shot and it was by one of his family members, but it was an accident. So they had gathered all of this information. And the next time that Kim was doing an investigation, they were in this room and he was like, So recently we had an EVP session in here, you know, and was talking about this little boy who had been shot by his family member. And there was this woman who got really upset in the group. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? And she was like, that was my nephew or cousin or like some relative, but I think nephew. And he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, she's like, how did you know all of that? Because that's stuff that only like family knows. Yeah. And he was like, well, I hate to tell you this, but like, we found that out through him, you know? And so she's like, I want to hear the tape then. And he played her the EVP and she was like chills all throughout her body. She started crying because she was like, that's his voice. Like that is his voice. And so, you know, Kim apologized because that had to be jarring for her to like be on this you know, thing. And then, holy shit, you're talking about my family member. And obviously that's a tragic death right there. But then Kim got a call and the mom of that little boy was like, hey, I want to hear his voice too. So he played her the EVP and she was like, yeah, that's him. So they asked, like they came to see him and they asked like, are you okay? Or, you know, like, why are you still here? Like, because then they felt like, oh my God, does he have unfinished business? Like, why has he not passed over? But he said he was okay. He was fine, you know, not in any pain or anything like that. And so it was more just like reassurance then. But I just thought that was really cool that like that, that really did show that like, oh shit, no, they had this interaction. Then, you know, two people, the mom and the aunt, We're like, that's his voice. Yeah. You know, so this was on a haunting and there's a book written about it by Cammie, who is the wife and Richard Estep, who was the paranormal investigator. And it's called The Haunting of Asylum 49. And Asylum 49 is still up and running. But let me just tell you, this is not your typical just a haunted attraction. Like at first, I think it was. But the more they put into it and the more they do, it's one of those like attractions not for the faint of heart, like full contact, like evil doctor can drag you away from Uh -uh. your group. No, uh uh-uh. Do not sign me up. Do not pass go. I ain't fucking going. Yeah, no, I don't want that. I like to be scared, but then it's like, okay, go back to your place. I'm going to the next room and like, I'll see you later. Yes. Not like... Uh Uh-uh. I don't want any fucking part of that. No. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. I'd rather do the real shit. (laughs) Luckily, my body is built to not be able to be moved easily. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So maybe they wouldn't try to drag me because, I mean, I'll just go like boneless and (laughs) you're not going to move me. (laughs) Remember, I fight Donna Freezes. (laughs) You're not moving her. No. So I think I don't want the full contact. I no. want the like, woo. No, because again, my instinct is fight. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can't. It's an instinct. I can't stop it. 
Yeah. Well, first, your instinct is to scream bloody murder. <laughs> True. Bloody murder. But anyway, so if y'all have went to Asylum 49, please let us know about it. Where did you say Utah? Yeah, Utah. Yeah, you spelled it wrong. Because I spelled it wrong. What the heck? How did you spell it? U-T-H-A. Oh, okay. Utah. <laughs> Utah. Utah. So I thought that was a good little story because it's like, it does play on the whole thing is it's a haunted attraction, but. But like it's a real one, but yeah. it's uh uh-huh. Biggest fear. Thank you. But for real, I would rather the real ghost than the, like, Dr. Evil coming and dragging me. Yeah. Well, if it was Dr. Evil, I'd been like, oh, can I be your mini-me? And do the, like, I love you, like, with our hands and stuff. Evil doctor? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this episode is about Floyd Thomas Panniers. So he goes by Tommy. So that's what I'm going to call him the rest of the episode. So Tommy was actually born on July 12th, 1974 in Hawaii, but he had a very difficult childhood. He was born addicted to heroin because his mother had an issue with addiction. His father wasn't around a ton. And well, I'm not going to tell y'all what show I saw this on because it'll give things away. But on the show, they say that at one point they were actually living in a crawl space under a house. Holy shit. One, that's super sad, but also that's super scary. Right. Well, okay. So I have been catching up on the I Think Not podcast and they're doing the frogging episodes. Oh, yeah. And like, this is that, but not as creepy, you know? Yeah. So basically, if you don't know what the heck that is, that's when, y'all remember episode three when we talked about Danny LaPlante? him living in somebody's house without them knowing it and then you like shimmy down and get your food and get your drink and use the bathroom and do all the things like you live there while they're living there and it's like a thing now which is gross like that is one of my biggest fears yeah because it's an invasion of your privacy well it's where you feel the safest and someone else is there and again it's like you try to reason things away. Same thing we do. We talk about all these things with people with ghosts and all of that. And you try to reason this away like, oh, maybe I did leave that cupboard open. Oh, maybe I did eat that can of soup. Maybe I did do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I don't know. Anyway. Well, if anyone was living with me, they would be like, uh, leave a note and say, can you go to Walmart? <laughs> can you please leave? I really have to pee. I need to come down and pee. <laughs> well, but I have no food, really. Like, I don't keep anything. How oh, you said a can of soup? They'd be like, this lady has no perishables or non-perishables. But also you work from home, so you literally Mm -hmm. don't leave. So they would just be sitting up there and like, I really got a shit. (laughs) (laughs) When Tommy was just three, his mom actually died by suicide. So Tommy moved from Hawaii to Stillwater, Oklahoma to live with his grandma. That is a change of scenery. Like, for real, though. So, Stillwater is a pretty small town where basically everybody knows everybody. Like, it's one of those how your mama and them doing, like, everybody knows everybody's goings on. It's a pretty religious town, and Tommy actually really thrived with his grandmother. Tommy was a bit of a ladies' man, very handsome, but had, like, a little emo-y style in high school like he had you know the spiky hair with the blonde tips and had his earrings which you know it's like oh my god he had earrings when tommy was 18 he got a job working in car audio type things and he really thrived at this and this became his career now while all this is going on he meets a girl named jennifer wheeler and they hit it off jennifer came from a very like 
well, not really well-to-do, more like, as they would say, established family. Like, they had been in the community for a long time. The family owned a florist. So they knew everybody. They were really involved in their church. So it was a good match. Like, everybody loved Tommy. Everybody loved Jennifer and her family. And Jennifer wanted to be a hairstylist. And when they got together, they just hit it off because she was a little more, like, had a little bit of the wild side. And he had some of that too. But he was becoming a bit more tame, though, because he was kind of finding his niche in his new career in like the audiovisual car business. This is just an aside. Her last name, I don't think I could date someone. Let me guess. Okay. Wizard of Odd Wheelers. Well, not odd. Like you the, said. Uh, the eyes or eyes. Yeah. But you the said it weird. <laughs> Return what, to Oz. Whatever the second one was. But I was yes. still right. Yeah. The Wheelers. Like you said her name and I instantly thought of them and those motherfuckers are creepy. So the two ended up getting married in September of 1996, and they had a really good marriage. Tommy was getting that stability that he didn't have when he was really young, and they just seemed to really be in love and living their best life. Tommy was helping Jennifer realize her dream of owning her own salon. Guess what the name of the salon was? Wheeling and dealing. No, wild hair. Oh, I love that though. Apparently she had had that name picked out like from a kid and was like, this is what my salon's going to be named. And it just stuck. And that's what they did. Love it. So Tommy helped like, I mean, he not only helped like financially back it, he was like putting in the work, building furniture, remodeling the place, making this salon all Jennifer's. The other thing that they did together was to help Jennifer's younger brother. So her brother had a band and like a recording studio in the closet of his bedroom. And they were just kind of making their way to different places like doing shows and all of that really starting to grow as a band. And so they would help them like Tommy would help set up the stages and all and Jennifer would help with like CD sales and all that. So they were really helping Jennifer's brother. His name is Nick Wheeler, and he is in and started the All-American Rejects. What? Yes. Oh, shit. Yeah. So as they start progressing into their marriage, they'd been married for a couple of years. And, you know, as I said before, Tommy was starting to kind of settle down more. And Jennifer was really loving this party life with her brother and his like bandmates because it was almost like she was kind of a manager but not really like she would help set up the gigs she would help set up the after parties and all of that and then go so Tommy's kind of calming down he's getting a little more clean cut she's becoming a little more rock and roll and wanting to stay out late with these people who are you know a bit younger but on November 29th of 1999 everything changed Police get a call from Jennifer that somebody had knocked on their front door. Tommy answered it. And the next thing she knew, someone had shot Tommy. What? Police get there and Jennifer is completely distraught. They start doing CPR on Tommy to see if they can revive him. Jennifer's freaking out like, is he okay? Oh my God, is he okay? Trying to like figure out like this is in this total trauma chaos of what is going on. So the police get there first. They're doing CPR. The ambulance gets there. They are like, as they're doing CPR, blood is literally like gushing out of his chest. Oh my gosh. And they get him loaded into an ambulance and they take him to the hospital. 
The doctors work on Tommy for about an hour when they realize that nothing else can be done and Tommy was pronounced dead. But before Jennifer left the house to go to the hospital with Tommy, she is like trying to get her things and she realizes like, wait, my purse is missing and then goes to the hospital to be with Tommy. So that was the police's first clue as to what the fuck actually just happened in this house. As they're searching around, they can see the like little credenza, for lack of a better word, had like wallet keys and that's where Jennifer's purse was. And that was just like taken because it was right by the door and they could see that there was gunpowder residue so you could tell that he was shot right at the door and then there was bloody footprints walking like from there to the credenza like you could tell where they grabbed the purse and then took off so they're like what the hell is this so at the hospital police ask jennifer some questions and she said that they had hung out with her brother that night and that after he left she and tommy were about to go to bed when somebody knocked on the door And like it happened so quickly after her brother Nick left, they thought like, oh, he forgot something. So just like quickly opened the door and it was like a panhandler, like somebody asking for money. And Tommy was like, I I don't have any, like, sorry, close the door and they get ready for bed. But then somebody comes back, you know, at around 11 o'clock, knocks on the door, Tommy answers it. And that's when she hears the gunshots. She did say that who had come earlier was a black man with a lazy eye. That's how she described him. Whoever this was that came and asked for money, did they get pissed? Did they come back? Like, like what happened? Tommy had five gunshot wounds. He had one in his back, two in his chest, and two around the neck area. And this really had an impact on the town because again it was such a small area there was not a whole lot of high crime and it's like this brutal murder where somebody just like literally came up to their door and murdered the homeowner so it was like are the people in the neighborhood at risk like who was this are they gonna come back are they gonna keep robbing houses like it really put everybody on edge So Jennifer was able to help police by doing a composite sketch and people in the neighborhood were like, oh, that, I think I know who that was. And police, it seems like kind of knew who he was too, because it was a guy named Scott Sanders. Now he was kind of like a panhandler in the area, would ask for money and matched the description perfectly. Now, when all of this went down at the house. Scott was actually in the area, literally walked by the ambulance and was like, what happened? Somebody get shot? And the police were like, do what? And then with him matching the description and all of that, they were like, um, they're like, oh yeah, bringing him in. So they brought him in for questioning and he's like, I didn't have anything to do with that. And they're like, well, do you have a gun? And he's like, hell no, I don't have a gun. Like if I had a gun, I would have sold it because he's always trying to get money. He's like, I'm not, I don't keep valuable shit like that. Like I need money. So he did a polygraph. He did all the things. He had an alibi. They searched his house. There was no weapons. And basically it wasn't him. Now, technically she did say that was just the guy who came for the money. Right. That's true. But to be honest, I'm not sure he even did that. So remember, they had the footprints at the crime scene and they had done, you know, all the forensic things to be like, let's look at this footprint. And they found out that it was a Nike Air Penny. No idea what that is. But apparently it's like a nice shoe that was kind of a limited time deal. And they were like asking Jennifer and Nick, like, do you recognize these shoes? And they're like, no. But Nick was like, I don't know everybody to hang out with. I don't know his people at work or whatever, because Tommy was super close with his 
work family. Like they were like a family. And so, you know, Nick was like, well, I don't know everybody they hang out with, but I don't recognize those shoes. But when they're asking Nick questions, he said exactly what Jennifer said. He left around 11 o'clock. That's the last time that he saw either one of them. And that was really it. There wasn't anything else that he really could offer. So when they start talking to Tommy's work family, they find out that Tommy and Jennifer actually didn't have as great of a marriage as it seemed. Like I'd said, Tommy was getting a little more straight-laced, and Jennifer really liked to party. She really liked to be this party girl hanging out with the younger kids. I mean, they're all of age, but you get the point. And that they probably were actually going to get a divorce. And while all this was going on, Tommy actually had been getting sick a lot. Like, a lot of stomach issues, headaches, his nose was bleeding. No. And he had been to the doctor and, like, nobody could figure out what was going on with him. But kind of almost as quickly as those symptoms came, they left as well. So... While Jennifer was working with her brother's band, she actually started getting really close with a guy named Philip Meadows. She met him through some of the parties with the band. Now, Philip was younger. He was like 19, I think. While no one really knew for sure there was an affair going on, all arrows pointed to it. Tommy had told some of his coworkers, like, this guy's pissing me off. Like, he's just basically all over her and it makes him uncomfortable and then there was this one time where he had actually come home from a trip and when he got home Jennifer wasn't there so he's like well where the fuck is Jennifer he's tried to call her all the things and so he's like okay nobody knows where she is I'm gonna go looking for her so he starts driving around and drives by Philip's house oh shit and what does he see Jennifer's car so Tommy actually was really inappropriate here and like walked inside this guy's house goes into his room sees phillips like sitting on the bed just like in his shorts with no shirt the bed's clearly disheveled and he's like what the fuck jennifer we're leaving and she's like um no we're not and he's like uh yeah we are and he gets mad at her and actually slaps jennifer oh shit so like that not okay so jennifer actually called the police and tommy was charged with domestic violence Now, Tommy told his coworker friends that basically, like, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever done. Like, I cannot believe that it came to that. And he was very remorseful for it. But he really wanted to get back together. And, like, Jennifer was, I think, kind of mediocre about it. I mean, understandably. But also, if she had been poisoning him, allegedly, or anything like that. Yeah. This was her way of getting out without her being the one in like in the wrong right i was really shocked when i was doing this story and i found out that he had hit her i I don't know like that really surprised me and and frankly it pissed me off like i was like what the fuck i don't know because i mean you obviously don't want to speak ill of the dead but like what he did was wrong right yeah so police find out that there's this potential relationship between jennifer and philip So police bring him in for an interview. And they're like, don't you think this is weird? Like, shit went down at your house. And then, like, this is literally just a few days later. Like, it's not, like, months and months and months. Like, it's, we're talking, like, not that long of a time between the domestic violence thing and Tommy being murdered. And Philip's like, no, I don't think it's weird. And they're like, well, 
what were you doing the night that he was murdered? And he says that he was out with two of his friends, Cameron Chesney and Kenny Lewis, and they'd gone to some parties, yada, 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 yada. So they bring the friends in and the friends are like, yeah, we went to a bunch of different parties around town. They totally backed up uh, Phillip's alibi. Well, rumors are really starting to kind of make its way around town about her having the relationship and police decide to bring the three friends back in for more interviews. And they're like, nah, we're not doing it. Then Jennifer stops cooperating. Oh, shit. Like flag on the play. Your husband has been murdered, and now you're not cooperating? Right. I understand protecting yourself, having an attorney present, all the things. Like, that is your right. You should protect yourself. But to just be like, nah, I'm good. You know what? I'm not going to help y'all figure out who murdered my husband. That is a huge red flag. Yeah. Then one day, February 16th, 2000, Cameron Chesney goes into the police station. His dad's with him, and... He's just like, I can't do it anymore. I saw Philip and Jennifer out one day and it just, I can't do it anymore. I gotta tell. Cameron tells police that yes, they were all riding around, but they weren't going to parties. They actually were running around in Tommy and Jennifer's neighborhood. And all of a sudden, Philip jumped out of the car and runs down the street. While he's gone, they hear the gunshots. Oh my gosh. And then Philip runs back to the car and is like, let's go. And basically was like, we didn't talk about it after that. What the fuck? So police are like, okay, thanks for telling us. How about you wear a wire so that we can get him, like get it on tape? Because they, they literally have no proof of this. And he says, as the kids say, bet. So Cameron and Philip meet outside one day and He's like, man, like, this is really bothering me. Like, I think I want to go to the police. And Philip is like, dude, you can't say anything. If you talk, like, it's all done. And we're all going to be in trouble. And Philip's like, remember, Cameron, that you and Kenny knew about this shit beforehand. And the police are like, what? Beforehand? Say what? You weren't just driving a car and he hopped out? Say what, Cameron? So the police were like, perk up ears. And then Philip says that Jennifer knows about it, too. And police are like, oh, shit, she really is part of it. So after all of this, the police arrest Philip for first-degree murder and conspiracy. They arrest Jennifer for the same thing, first-degree murder and conspiracy. But here's the thing. They, like, have nothing on Jennifer other than Philip in this sting operation saying she knows. Insert the TikTok sound. She knows, she knows, she knows. Sometimes I know obscure TikTok sounds and Donna's like, I don't, what are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) So the police offer Philip a deal. Tell us what's going on. Testify against Jennifer and we'll help you. And he's like not having it. And they're like, dude, we will take the death penalty off the table. Like you did this. We know you did this. Like just testify against her so that you don't get the death penalty. So finally he's like, okay, I will. He tells police that, yes, they had been having an affair and that Jennifer was like, look, I want us to be together, but I cannot divorce Tommy. She tells him, like, look, you know, they're very religious. Like, my family will never accept me being divorced. It's not common in the area. Like, yada, yada, yada. Getting rid of him is the only option. And she's like, yeah, and by the by, like, I'm trying to poison him, but it ain't working. She was putting Visine in his Gatorade. 
What? Yes. And all I did was make him sick. Yeah. Also, I love how people have this moral high ground of like, my family would not accept me if I was Mm -hmm. divorced, but let's kill him. They'll never know. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Let's just kill him and then I will be the good person. But like you said, she had all this ground to stand on with the domestic violence thing. All she had to do was divorce him after that. And then bada bing, bada boom, it's done. And then she doesn't look bad because Mm -hmm. he really did fuck up. Like he, that is a divorceable offense, you know? Even in the eyes of the church, that's a divorceable offense. So Philip tells police like, yep, I got my friends to drive me. And I went up there, knocked on the door. He opened it and I shot him. And police literally, like, police had shown him the shoe. And he was like, oh, my God, you found my shoes? Oh, my God. Because he, like, those were his shoes. Wow. By the by, this was all in an episode of Snapped, if you haven't guessed. Hell, I didn't know if it was going to be on something like celebrities who have crimes (laughs) or whatever. Like the true crime version of Claim to Fame? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was on season 29, episode 19 of Snapped. But let's continue. So Jennifer does go to trial and in the trial, she basically says like, oh, we didn't start hooking up until after Tommy was killed. And I'm like, we're talking like months. Like this was not a long time between the death and all of these coming out with Cameron going to the police and all that. So like you're telling me like two months after your husband was murdered, brutally murdered, you're like, let me start talking to this kid. Because he's a kid. He, like, literally just graduated from high school. Wow. Yeah. You cannot tell me this just happened Mm -mm. with everything before. Like, oh, God. I hate her. So, on March 22nd of 2001, the jury finds her not guilty of murder. What? But guilty of conspiracy. Okay. If she did the conspiracy, Mm -hmm. then that's murder. Like, if a... Like, that's the same. Uh-huh. Like how, like, how can you convict of one and not the other? Yeah. She got 10 years in prison. 10? 10 years? Mm-hmm. Just wait. She was released after four years. For planning a fucking murder? Uh-huh. Of her husband? Uh-huh. Holy fuck. And not because he abused her that time. So, Kenny Lewis and Cameron Chesney both got 10-year sentences. Cameron was released in 2005, and Kenny was released in 2008. Philip Meadows was sentenced and got paroled after serving only 17 years. Holy shit. So, all of these motherfuckers are out of jail. What the fuck, dude? Yep. And, oh, and she's, like, still, like, living in the area and working as a hairdresser. How? I don't know. It's so fucked up. That is so fucked up. Like, I don't understand how you can convict her of conspiracy to commit murder and not the murder. Like, it would not have happened if you had not conspired. Ergo, you're guilty. Yeah. That's like saying, I robbed a gas station, and while I was robbing it, I shot somebody. But, like, I'm not guilty of murder. I'm guilty of robbery. Like, you're not. You're guilty of murder, too. Yeah. Like, let me let me back that up even a little bit further. If it was me and you robbing a gas station, you killed them and I'm there, I'm still guilty of murder. If we planned this together and we got all, I'm still guilty. Yeah. Wow. And I do get that it was really hard for them to prove some of it because it really was basically off of Philip's testimony. But if you had enough evidence to convict her of conspiracy, you had enough evidence to convict her of the murder. Yeah. 
I think. God, that's so hard. I mean, they probably were like, well, let's just get her on this. But I just see what you're saying. But I just don't get it. Like, I get what you mean. Yeah. But I can't wrap my brain around how can someone be guilty of conspiring to murder someone and not the actual murder? Yeah. It happened because you conspired. Yeah. That's the dumbest fucking shit. Also, you said conspire and now I'm singing uh, Walking in a Winter Wonderland. <laughs> Tis the season. <laughs> oh, gosh. But that makes me so mad that she just got out so, like, scot-free. Uh-huh. And just continues to live her life. And I guess all of them do, question mark? I don't know. I just, the balls on her to live there, to be an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and be like, yeah. Because, I mean, maybe a lot of people don't know. You said it was a small town. Yeah, they all know. Yeah. They all fucking know. I don't know. I mean. Like, smaller than our town we're from. Like, and you would know. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. And let us know what y'all think about this episode. Would you do Donna's Haunted House? And let us know what y'all think about the conspiracy murder business. Can one go without the other? Don't forget to check out our Patreon and like, subscribe, review, and all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.